Hello, listeners. I'm Scott Lynch, author of The Lies of Locke the Mora and the other books in the Gentleman Bastard sequence, and you're listening to The Legendarium Podcast. The Legendarium Podcast is brought to you by, by you. So please visit patreon.com slash legendarium to, to support the show. But for now, welcome, welcome to, to The, the Legendarium. legendarium. I've told you my pirate dating app idea, right? Um, I think you have. Yeah, hook up. <laughs> and the slogan is just going to be like, you're here for the booty. <laughs> I hate you so much. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium Podcast. Uh, I am Craig Hanks, your host. And over there, he's so sour. If you lick him, it staves off scurvy. It's Kyle Lemon. Wow. You pulled out a sour joke for Lemon. Like, <laughs> Actually, I'm, I was thinking... I'm really disappointed look, in you, look, actually. Look, this I, is... It kind of it fell into my lap. It was one of those things where we're doing a pirate book. I was going for pirate jokes, and then I was like, holy sh**, scurvy. I can do a scurvy joke. Anyway, so yeah. Yes, I did. And I'm not sorry. Well, the listeners are. (laughs) (laughs) And I would keel haul him, but frankly, his keel is too big for me to haul. It's Ryan Bruckman. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Just just sit back and take it. Uh, All right. Don't give me barnacles. (laughs) Uh, Today we are talking Red Seas under Red Skies. This is Gentleman Bastards number two. Uh, so general spoiler alert for that. If you haven't read the book, don't listen to the episode unless you don't care about spoilers, in which case you're a monster like Kyle. Yep. Uh, um, anyway, so that's what we're doing today. Welcome, everybody. And uh, before we do that, make sure you go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Go to thelegendarium.reddit.com uh, to join in the conversation. The Reddit threads there are uh, are delightful and thriving. Um, 30 flirty and thriving, I think is the phrase that I remember from my teenage years. So I, I'm really going cross genre here today. Uh, all right. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting some, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I will say this. We just had, uh, <laughs> we just had our family photo shoot, uh, here yeah. for the legendarium. And so we'll be putting up some fun photos from that one. Uh, it was disturbing. To say the least. Yeah, we, we could just start the Awkward Family Photos chapter of podcasts. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think this is a good idea. In fact, I, I feel like the <laughs> listeners should send in their Awkward Family Photos as well. <gasps> Ooh. Oh, can we do a... Would that be a Reddit thread or maybe like a Twitter thread? Um, awkward yeah. Family Photos? Yeah. Um, either way, we need this to happen. I think this is a fantastic idea. We'll, we'll need our, our one to start that off. And then I think that should be a thing. So watch out for that, I guess. If you're not following us on Twitter, you should. I'm trying to get a little bit more active there, but really I don't know how to use Twitter. So uh, watch me flail. Mm. Uh, that's fine. It's fine. <laughs> don't worry about it. Is that like a whip and a nene? Like, <laughs> watch me flail? Sure. What? Okay, never mind. Right, can I tell you the hardest thing about Twitter is, uh, so I have my personal account that I never, ever, ever use, and I have... Uh, the podcast account that I always stay logged into. And it's hard for me to remember that I'm on the podcast account because basically everything on Twitter is political. 
And so I'm constantly just like wanting to respond to some dumbass thing somebody said on Twitter. Uh, but I, I have to stop myself and, and just let it go because uh, of the account I'm logged into. And honestly, I should anyway. I should have the self-control to just let things go. Um, but it's hard. It's hard sometimes. Yeah. Um, anyway, Ryan, you're you're pretty active on Twitter. People should follow you at... At Ryan Bruckman. They, well, it's very complicated. I will tell you, I, I kind of broke my social... A few years ago, I broke my social media into like different categories, and Twitter was more my soccer sure. side where I focused on that, but... Occasionally, I do tweet about. But I'm guessing. Here. I'm guessing if some listener followed you and tweeted at you, you would tweet back. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So uh, maybe not even about soccer. Anyway, we should probably talk about Red Seas under Red Skies. Uh, like I said, this is Gentleman Bastards number two, um, and I hope you guys enjoyed the Scott Lynch intro at the top of the episode. Yeah. Uh, very grateful that he sent that in. Uh, anyway, here's. Here's the thing. We don't have a Ken recap uh, like we sometimes do for these. Uh, so I think we're going to have to do a team recap, an unprepared team recap. This is already set up to be amazing. Um, this is going to be five minutes of the worst audio you've ever heard. So <laughs> thumb on that 30 second forward button. Um, here we go. Ryan, start us off. First sentence. What are we doing in Red Seas? We are going. We find our intrepid heroes i feel like i should call it already for you <laughs> they are now working a casino right or yeah because it wasn't oceans enough right yeah. they're now working a casino and they get uh brought into the two major power factions there's this uh the job they're trying to pull off and then they get pulled into the political side of things and because they get pulled into the political side of things they get sent off to be pirates uh oh my gosh okay so yeah they they're working a, a casino job mm-hmm they run afoul of the local authorities, the military authority. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, they go off to be pirates. That lasts five minutes. Uh, and then they become prisoners. Then then they become prisoner pirates. Okay. And then they kill some people. And then the book ends. Yeah. What what am I missing, Kyle? Uh, wasn't it, wasn't it they, the reason they had to go out and be pirates was because they were drugged or something like that. And so the whole adventure is to find the antidote and then oh, that's right. they, they can't have to do it to get the antidote from yeah, the guy who poisoned them. Exactly. And then there was like this whole long deal about like in that adventure, several things get them offline and then yeah. they got to come back and they finally get back and get the antidote and only one of them has the antidote. And Jean says to Locke, you should take it and lock says i already put it in your drink bro like, <laughs> uh you do a great lock by the way yeah um okay so this brings up yeah that's the end of the book blah 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 okay Spoiler. who cares um this brings up one of my first questions and we'll get to the plot of the book in just a second oh will we get to the plot of the book but i want to ask you guys about the magic we we briefly talked about this in our last gentleman bastards episode um but the magic system in this is interesting um it's light it this is a fantasy story that is light on the magic i was like what what do you mean it was light no it wasn't but light is in not a major yeah it doesn't seem to be a major factor but it seems so this is like we talk about um what do we talk like hard magic versus soft magic is that the term Sure. Uh, the system. I don't usually go to that part of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, what's the term for uh, a magic system that's rigid and Sandersonian? 
I I don't know. I can't. I I. We'll just go with that. Yeah, hard magic. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? Flaccid magic. <laughs> no, it's a it's a. Mag- Welcome to an hour of penis jokes. <laughs> Pirates. <laughs> Pirates of penis ants. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is this? A penis for ants? <laughs> oh, Ryan just hit his head so hard. <laughs> uh, oh man, I'm really glad. I, so I'm so glad we have a week for me to edit this, <laughs> dude. Did you hit that hard? No, yeah. or is that from laughing? That's right, from laughing. <laughs> You're like crying over there. Ryan's tearing up. Um, it doesn't help that we're recording this at eleven o'clock. It is at eleven night, o'clock. And we're all probably super tired, so you get that yeah. laugh happy thing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's great. Sorry, everybody. Uh, what what you just experienced may have been five seconds, uh, but I edited that. Edited. <laughs> edited. I can't even say it. I edited that down from quite a bit more. Uh, oh my goodness. Where were we? <laughs> I have no idea what we were even talking about. You were talking about the magic system in the book, how it's very light. It's not, what, it's not it one is, of the core elements of the yeah, book. Yeah, well, no, no, I, I'm talking, I want to get into the idea that some magic systems are soft. Soft, yeah, soft magic mm-hmm. systems and hard magic systems. Um, where, like in Harry Potter, it's a soft magic system. It can do whatever the author needs at any moment. That's what we're dealing with here. Um, and it's and I was curious what you guys think of it because it's a soft magic system, uh, and it's not he doesn't even try to define it. Um, he just says like, oh, there's something called alchemy, and it can do whatever I need it to do at any given moment. I think it's boy is it handy for an author to kind of keep a story going. You're like, oh, I need them, I need them to have not just a carrot, but I need a stick. Um, and so the stick is they there's this poison they've got to chase down the poison. Uh, or the antidote, and but the poison is slow acting, and it's mm-hmm. got a two month timer on it. It's like what two month timer on a poison? Well, yeah. it's alchemical. So, um, anyway, are you guys okay with this? Uh, do you feel like this is a legitimate way to introduce magic into the story, or or did it frustrate you at all? I'm okay with soft magic systems in general. Uh-huh. Uh, I did kind of roll my eyes at the whole. There's a two month countdown on this poison that they're taking. Like, oh. That's pretty convenient. We got a World of Warcraft style cooldown happening here. <laughs> and uh I I mean I get it, but I'm okay and I'm okay with it because the draw to this story isn't the magic system. I would say that there are some fantasy series out there that that it, it's very front and center and like like you read Mistborn and you have to understand the way that the magic system works to be able to wrap your mind around some of the action sequences that Sanderson's explaining and describing. And he, he weaves it in there and that's not the draw in this story. The draw is the relationship between John and Locke, the, those two characters and whatever con they're trying to pull. Yeah. And so I'm okay that it's very much in the background and occasionally comes through like, okay, to remind you like this is actually a fantasy book, not necessarily just a heist or uh mobster type of right, book. Right, right. You know what I mean? But I, I like how it works, but I I did roll my eyes at a couple of things like that where it was like, oh, two months, okay. Yeah, mm, yeah. Seems convenient. <laughs> I, I hesitate to call this a magic system. 
a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it's there is this magic system in this world. We dealt with it in the first book a little bit with the... Uh, the Magi, the Bonds Magi. Yeah, the Bonds Magi. So there is a magic system that exists. This is more of a... The only reason why I'm okay with that a little bit is because it is potions-esque. It's, it, to me, it feels a little more scientific, even though it's not... Right, you have to study and understand it. and Yeah, and the thing was is they they... That two-month timeline wasn't a... It's not a hard time. That was him saying, if you don't come back, we don't know when this is going to happen, but as long as you come back within two months, I can give you your next filler piece. Yeah. So it, it was to me, it was never quite that, that hard of a timeline. So I was totally okay with it because it's a slow acting poison. You don't know how it's going to react to different people's bodies mm-hmm. and different things, but you know that it's slow enough that as long as you start at this much time, that it works. So for me... Wasn't a big, wasn't a big issue. Um, I, I just felt like the one thing that it, it did. I felt like he was just trying to establish additional stakes in this for heroes that we knew should make it. When in the last book we were like, oh, he killed off a bunch of the yeah the core group. Like you could kill anybody here. So now he's like, I'm putting this over here. I'm like, yeah, well, I know none of them, neither of these two are going to die in this book for sure. Like. Yeah, I they're see going to figure out like uh, they're going to figure out a way to deal with this. That being said, I, jumping all the way to the end of the book, um, and I mean the bitter, bitter end, I was really surprised with how he ended the book, uh, with Jean having taken the antidote and Locke being like, "Well, I guess I'll die then." The end of book two. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh wow, okay, we're going there. Um, so that I mean. It was a little nod in the direction of um, anything could happen, but I think, like you said, for the most part, the book was was like it, it was more along the lines of how are they going to get out of this one instead mm-hmm. of like are they going to get out of this one, right? Mm-hmm. Checking the same bat time, same bat channel. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> for me, the other thing was is if you're going to do that, I wanted to see. It never, I, I don't remember well enough to say, but I don't feel like it ever really became a major plot point in terms of actually affecting his ability to do stuff during the story. Right. Like if he started to get sick during a section and so they had to expedite, you know, do whatever, it, let it have an effect during the story because it doesn't really until the end when they say, okay, we've got one antidote. So he yeah. never got sick to on the, the boat or to anything. To the point that at a certain point I forgot that they were poisoned. Yeah, and then it was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's the whole reason that they're doing this. Oh yeah, I forgot. Yeah. And oh, antidote. So okay. <laughs> okay, so now we're getting into something that I did want to bring up when it comes to the plot of this one. Um, there was okay, man. I really need to preface this. I need to preface it this way. I really enjoyed this book. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one, but I still had fun with it. It was, mm-hmm. you know, it's still an amusing, uh, fun time in, you know, uh, Lock World, whatever we call it, Lamora Land. So it's great. Okay, now that out of the way, there was a thing in book one, and I think I might have uh, briefly touched on it in that episode where, um, it felt very strange when he's uh, he's conning the rich folks in book one, and then halfway through the book, it's just like never mind. Something else happens, and we abandon that storyline, and we jump into something else. And 
book two true to the uh true to the idea of the sequel the sequel is always bigger and better right the sequel does that like three Tenfold. different times yeah. um where you start you're like oh it's gonna be a casino job and he's like nope never mind oh okay so now they're they're in the thrall of this military dictator and they have to go learn how to be pirates and so they like that you spend a mm-hmm. good chunk of the book training in this it's not even a training montage it's like full-on scenes where they're learning how to captain a ship uh and then they get out onto the high seas and then like two days later it's like you're deposed and everything goes to shit mm-hmm. and uh and then what is it now they're on the ship and they're like well we still need to figure out a way to convince all the pirates to nope never mind do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, he it, keeps bringing up these storylines and then not resolving it actually, them. It actually felt almost like it was two books because he also introduced two really cool antagonists for each of those storylines. Yeah, yeah. And uh, which were both really cool in their own right. I think you've got Requin Ray, or Requin. Requin, yeah. And then you've got Stragos. Mm-hmm. And uh, those two villains in on their own could have carried, I think, a whole story. But what it felt like to me is as soon as as soon as Locke and Jean go to train to become pirates or train to become seamen. Right. There you go. Thanks, buddy. Uh, <laughs> uh, we would have been fine until you did the double guns. And double guns. <laughs> uh, what it felt like was that Lynch got really interested in writing a pirate book. And which I'm fine with, which is I'm told like it was super enjoyable, but like you said, it felt like he left all of the landlocked uh story completely behind and almost completely forgot about it. And we spent a lot of time at sea, we spent a lot of time training to go to sea. Mm. It was all very interesting, and he's really great at writing interesting characters, interesting dialogues, interesting scenes. Yep. Uh, but it felt disjointed. So the so yeah, I think I see what you're saying. On a micro level, everything he's doing is fantastic. Yeah. But then you zoom out and you're like, wait, what is the structure of this book? What is this story uh-huh. that I'm reading? Because uh, we, I mean, you can compare it to whatever story you like, but it mm-hmm. it it keeps feeling like you're gonna get a heist story, mm-hmm. and then you get a save the world story. Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. this so it's happened in book one. It happened in book two. Um, and I haven't finished book three yet, but I can only assume. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I guess Ryan, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, are, are you are you with him uh, all the way through? Is it kind of uh, is it bothering you the way that it seems to be bothering us? No, n- no, uh, it's somewhat formulaic in the sense that it is. I I know that anything that he's introducing at the beginning, he's going to aim to resolve at the end, right? Versus resolving part of the mm-hmm. way through, like the casino heist. I I know that at the end of this book, they're going to pull something off, or right. there will be some payoff to that. Uh, that's one thing I will say. I he I don't think he's ever. He's never left a loose end, big enough that I've felt that it that it caused a major problem. Yeah. He just doesn't tie them off until the very end of the book, which mm-hmm. I think he could do. He could do a little bit better to do that in the, through, through the story. Two things that, that come to mind that, um, that get brought up and then abandoned was from book one, the Nazca storyline um, where it's like, Oh, these two, are they in love? Oh no, they're just, you know, they have a healthy respect for each other. Oh my gosh. They're going to have to figure out 
you know, uh, what am I trying to say? What's that? Yeah, the courting. Um, but they don't want to get married. So this is going to be an interesting little story. Oh, never mind. She's dead. dead. Um, and then in this one, it's the thing with the Bonds Magi when they're walking through the, the town and the Bonds Magi kind of go and freak them out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, using the townspeople as puppets and whatnot. Uh, it's a great scene. And then you just never hear from them for the rest of the book. Uh, and so there are those little moments that where it's like, no, I, I, I'm interested in that. I want to see that happen. I th- and I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, that on a micro level, he's doing things so well yeah. that you're so engaged and you're so interested in all of these minor details that you want more and more and more. And uh, when that, in a rare case, doesn't finish or doesn't happen, it's noticeable because you've attached to something very minute and very interesting uh, that it feels bigger than it probably is. But you're right. I do think that he actually ties everything off pretty well toward like at the end of the book. Um, and I think it's part of his style because he weaves his stories in and out and, and things like that. But uh, it felt like I said, this one felt a little bit more disjointed to me than the first one. And the first one, I don't know if it was because it felt more anchored with like the chains character. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one was it was just a little bit different. I don't know. I really can't put my finger on it, but it just felt more disjointed jumping from your landlock uh story arc to your high seas story arc back to the land and, mm-hmm. yeah okay um ryan how did you feel about the uh flashback stuff or the lack thereof in this one versus the first one i i made a note uh, as i was reading it was 27 percent into the book we get our first flashback with father chains he's riding in a wagon having a conversation with father chains and i made a note i was like oh my gosh i'm so excited i can't believe it took 20 27 percent of the book to get here um i love that character i loved those scenes from the first book uh and then as far as i can recall we get nothing else from that flashback stuff we get other flashbacks with him and jean in the aftermath of the uh, Camor stuff, right? The book mm-hmm. one stuff. So we get those brief flashbacks, but we don't get any more like childhood stuff except for one tiny little conversation. Um, were you okay with that? I was with because of where we were. A flashback to a childhood event or flat, those flashbacks are always used to inform how they're going to resolve or, or how they know about this. And the fact that we've established that these guys know nothing about sailing and being about about being out on the sea, other than their general connection to Kamora, I mean, right? It, they know how to punt a boat, but they don't know how to sail a ship. Exactly. To me, if if we were constantly going back into a flashback, what purpose would it serve if they? You can't go back and showcase how they are going to affect this. Yeah. So to me, it was uh, I was okay with it. Um, I was also okay because I was more interested in the development of the current relationships going on more so than realizing their where they're coming mm-hmm. from. Um, Jean's relationship with um, what's her face? Oh, I can't. Oh boy, I can't remember anymore. His lady love, the lieutenant. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll look it up. But that to me. That storyline was more important than looking back at, at seeing what, where Jean had been in the past, for now, because I Esri. I was seeing Ezra yeah because we were we were seeing how he was growing and developing and becoming something different than when we first saw him. It's 
it was this book had more of a genre arc than any other anything else we've we've gone through so far. And I find him to be a more interesting character than Locke. Do you? And and it, maybe it is just due to those flashback scenes where we're getting more Jean in this book than we are of Locke, mm-hmm. and thus making him you know a more rounded and interesting character than Locke in this book at least. I'm not sure if I find him more interesting or not. I I feel I which of these two characters is more predictable? Oh, uh, <laughs> both. Right. I mean, they they both have really well defined personalities, mm-hmm. right? Like, so for me, neither one of these characters really. Uh, I always feel like it's a little bit of a cop out, but I'm I always expect that they're going to do something that I haven't noticed so far. Like Locke, I always know is going to pull out something that's weird, whatever. Um, and Jean is just going to be dependable Jean. And so for me to be more interested in him when I already know kind of what he's planning is. I don't know. I love him. I love the character. Yeah. I connect with him really well. Um, but you're you're looking for something a little more unexpected I'm, from I, these characters? I want to see them. I want to see their growth and change. And Locke is more fun to be in his mind, but Jean is more relatable in his... He's the Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. If Samwise Gamgee could, you know, cave your head in with a hatchet. <laughs> if he had had the Wicked Sisters, that would have been a very... <laughs> different story um okay well i i think i i can get on board with you there i i think i like him more than you do but i understand what you're saying i'm good with it uh can i go wait do we want to stay with the characters i guess let's stay with the characters um are are there any other characters from this story that you want to see move forward besides these two because i mean we start with the two of them and we end with the two of them and so it's like every everybody else seems to be just a uh, um, yeah rotating cast to come in, give them an adventure, and leave. But is there anybody from this that you would like to see pop up again in book three, book four, whatever? Because I'll give you mine. Um, it's the uh, the crazy half burned Sinspire Lieutenant. Um, she's oh yeah. What's her name? I can't remember. Uh, but she, I think she's fantastic. I think she's got it, it, just a cool visual, you know, she's got the whole Harvey Two-Face thing going on. Um, anyway, I like her. I could, I could see, I, I, I don't see her coming back, but I would like to see that. That would be nice. I have, because of the way these are written, being more episodic, um, which is actually kind of relating to a point you brought up earlier uh, about a loose end being brought up or something brought up mm-hmm. and not a, if this was being written in a less episodic style, like we had one large story arc, we'd be more forgiving of that because we'd figure going forward this will get resolved. We'll see this again in the future. Mm-hmm. And he he does that a bit. I mean, having read book three, like we do, um, you do get some more of that resolved, uh, those things that come back. But because this is episodic, I've totally lost my point. Uh, Something about Sherlock Holmes. No. Gosh, dang it. <laughs> I was just taking a stab there. What were we talking about right before this? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm laying down an I edit hit my marker. Head. I hit my head. You did. You hit your head pretty <laughs> hard. I'll, uh, I I got to admit. Um, oh, Now, there's my edit marker. Okay. Characters that you would like to see 
Oh, characters, thank next, you. Next book. No, I don't want to see characters from this book move forward because unless the their story arc melds into the larger picture, I don't want to see them mm-hmm. move forward. I love Zamir Drakasha. I love the pirate, uh, the captain of that ship. I yeah. love everything about her. I don't want to see her in the next one unless it's just to ferry them from point A to point B. Sure. Like She belongs with her ship in the sea. That's where we, if they're not there, I don't want to see them. Yeah. Um, and knowing that they're not, like the next episode should just have a new cast of characters other than Locke and John, and you can use anyone from their past that has already been brought over, Father mm-hmm. Chains, um, the whole gentleman bastards gang. Like yeah, yeah. you can use them, but otherwise, no. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. um, that that's who we might want to see come back. But I'll tell you, there's one person missing from this story again. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, what's her name? What is her name? Sabatha. Sabatha, yeah. Mm -hmm. Sabatha. Uh, I'm, I'm eager. And I'm a little bit, not upset, I don't know, that's not quite the right word, but like, she keeps getting brought up. And I, like, Chekhov's gun is getting pretty cold up there on the mantle. Mm -hmm. Like, this thing needs to fire. Uh, and I, so in the first book, I was like, okay, well, I guess he'll bring it up in the next one. There just wasn't room for it here. And then this book was even longer than the first by, by a significant margin. And, uh, but by the time I got to the end of it, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. (laughs) Like not even, not even a tease at the end where it's like, that's the final scene is like, they show up and it's like, hi boys, I'm Sabatha. And they're like, what (laughs) happened to your voice? And she's like, oh, don't worry about it. Um, and then, you know, cut to book three. Uh, you know, something, anything. But there was nothing. And uh, I don't know. I guess I'm just, at this point, I'm just airing grievances. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You've brought this up with other books in the past, Ryan, where it's like, you know, you wouldn't have this many complaints if you didn't care. Mm-hmm. We, we brought up, there. we had all these nitpicks for Watt, uh, for mm-hmm. Wheel of Time as we were going through it. And you had to keep reminding me that, like, yeah, you you nitpick because you care. And, like, mm-hmm. that's true. Like, I, I want to know. Locke seems to be really hung up on this girl, and I'm tired of not knowing about it. That's all. So, sorry for airing my grievances. You guys don't even have to comment on that if you don't want to. And you don't want to. <laughs> okay. So, um, I just okay. didn't know it was Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> I just watched that episode. Um and for all of you overseas listeners who have never even seen an episode of Seinfeld, um, I don't know where Seinfeld plays, but uh, I, I hope everybody's seen at least a little Seinfeld. Uh, okay, I wanted to ask about something. Um, oh, gosh, now I need to bring up my notes. Um, Ryan, it's about false facing. Um, there's a bit when when Locke is considering his time as Leo Canto Costa um he's it, it doesn't really matter what the scene is but he's deciding what kind of decisions he wants to make um and he says he he reminded himself that he could do as he pleased and feel as he pleased while he was Leo Canto Costa Leo Canto Costa wasn't real and this reminds me of something that I think we've brought up before I I think it was episode gosh like way back episode 38 or something we played D for the first time mm-hmm. so craig and ryan playing dungeons and dragons for the first time it's magnificent if you haven't heard it you should go listen um 
and then you'll know where I got the name of the character that I uh, that we invented for our last weird episode that we did. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, but we we have talked a few times about this idea of um, of creating a secondary character for yourself so that you can uh, make different decisions and ma- like experiment with different things. I just wanted you to sound off a little bit on that because I think as somebody who's tied to the stage you do a lot of theater, you've probably seen and experienced a lot of this. Um, hey, tell me a little bit about your, your false facing and, uh, and and what kind of, you know, how this goes for somebody who spends a lot of time on the stage or maybe playing D&D or something like that. So this is a really, really interesting discussion that you can spend a lot of time with on different aspects because people approach it in different ways, especially in acting. Some people, it's relating themselves to their character and saying, this is how I would handle the situation and everything. And other people will create something totally, they will focus on building a character totally fresh. It's not them at all and trying to inhabit that piece. Um, there's a lot of different techniques and, and approaches to, to doing that. Um, the one thing you hope you can always manage is to balance a, that that little check in your head that says, this is reality, this isn't. Because right. when that fades... People, you get Heath Ledger doing the Joker, which is an amazing performance, but then all of a sudden starts tormenting his nightmares, right. and we have problems. Um, so, I having <laughs> when he talks about false facing us and and becoming another character and saying he can do whatever he wants because it's fake. I have a slight problem with that because the consequences of what you're doing, your actions are real. So, yes, whatever you say or think or whatever as that character might be fake, but it's going to affect your actions. And you work on this all the time, building up the, you know, the, the underlying reasoning for why you do something. You know, why, why am I here? What are my relationships? You know, what am I trying to get? Uh, why can't I get it? You answer all these questions so that in the moment when something comes in front of you, you know how to, how to respond. Um, I actually really, really like... Um, when Locke goes into other characters a lot in these stories mm-hmm. um, and preface, I will be more of this will be discussed in the next book. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll hold a little bit for there, but I don't know. It's, it's a very interesting subject and it's more along the lines of as a person, if you have this opportunity, which category are you going to fall into? Are you going to see how you fit into the character or are you going to build something and fit yourself to it right i it's an interesting exercise both for uh scott lynch and also for us trying to read the story to keep track of Locke lamora who is our main character who is playing leo canto costa who is playing uh whatever the the captain's the fake captain's name Mm -hmm. was yeah i can't even remember anymore um but inception yeah exactly so but it's interesting and at times it was a little bit frustrating um trying to keep track of wait which one is jean in this scene you know and they'll throw out names and you have to like uh try to follow the trail back to who it is you're actually talking about um so i mean it's a little frustrating at times but i think it's a really interesting thing to do Um, um i guess my question is do you feel like you're getting enough of a discussion on the possible ramifications, the psychological ramifications of doing this, or are we just being presented with a story where these characters are so practiced at false facing that they have no problem 
separating themselves from their fake characters and that's all there is to it. At this point, it's the latter where you just, we know that they've had a past, that this is something they've been doing for a long time. We just assume that they can handle it. Yeah. Um, but getting a bigger, uh, a better view into how they came to those skill sets will, uh, will be a nice piece. The special set of skills, mm-hmm. one might say. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, boy, you know, I just realized I forgot to ask for Reddit questions. So, my bad, Reddit people. I really apologize. But what do you guys want to talk about? Anything you want to bring up with this book as I chase down my other notes? Yeah, I've got one or two things. Sure. Uh, one of the things I actually really like, we talked about the, the like, more than a montage of learning how to be a captain sure. of the ship or whatever. Yep. One of the things I like that Scott Lynch did here is that they his heroes or his protagonists didn't get it right. So they went through all this training. They figured out how to pretend to be captains. And then what's his name dies? Uh, Caldrus. Right. And then the storm comes and a bunch of crew members die. And then they mutiny. And that's how they get imprisoned and yeah, all yeah. that stuff. So mm-hmm. like, it wasn't the classic fantasy. This person's going to go through and learn how to do this thing. And they're going to master it at least to the level where they can accomplish X task. It's like, no, they totally screwed it up. And then this this crew mutinied and put them in prison or maroon yeah. them or whatever. So I liked that he did that. It was very refreshing to Good. see that yeah. change. It's kind of the other side of the coin from what I was talking about. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. frustrating that he abandons the storyline. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. you get a cool, you know, you, you, you're getting the rug pulled out from under yep. you and it can be a pleasurable thing as a reader. Yep. Right. And in, in the same vein, this is my other point, uh, in the same vein, this book started out kind of slow and you had your characters mourning the losses of the previous crew. And I actually really liked that there was this kind of weird emotional view. Kind of catharsis. Yeah, into how Locke was handling it and he would get drunk and all that kind of stuff. And it was it was a slow mover and it's, the book started out slow, but I think that it, really helped to build that rapport like with that character and connect to him a little bit more. And you don't normally see that in literature or in at least fantasy literature. Usually it's trying to get on to the next adventure or whatever. And I like that he took the time to do that. So those were two things that I thought were different and refreshing. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, like Sierra mist. No. Okay. (laughs) He got on my nerves at the beginning for the like uh, Jean did or uh, Lock. Lock, yeah, and it's frustrating because it's a very real response though, and that I appreciated that. But at the same time, I'm like, don't you Harry Potter five me? <laughs> don't you Harry Potter five me here? Get get back up and get going. Yeah, get you know. And I was sure they would. I was just, how long am I going to spend yeah. the mire of self pity? Yeah, and it definitely made it slow. It was definitely hard to get into, but like. Looking back on it, I was like, oh, okay, I, I appreciate that this is very real. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. All right. Um, all right. So, I've got one for you here. Uh, oh, um, the parlor passage. Do you guys remember what I'm talking about? Mm. Just another one of those things. I, I Harking back to our, uh, our micro scene that's amazing and boy do I wish this had been worked more into a macro uh, at a macro level uh, the parlor passage is the kind of 
misty ghost passage that they take to get to the pirate island. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, he does he does a neat little trick where we get relatively few Jean point of view chapters, but uh, this is one of them because what they do is they whisper your real name at you, mm-hmm. and uh, and so they're they're whispering your name and he ha- he switches to Jean so that he can show that without telling us what Locke's real name is. Dirty trick on that one but anyway um but i really liked it and and i was waiting for them to like send their or like you know to to pull the other pirates who were chasing them down like have them chase them to the parlor passage or something and then the other ship gets ruined by the ghosts and they 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 get uh they get aragorned by the army of the dead or something (laughs) like that um anyway i i yeah. enjoyed that scene quite a bit it was spooky it was uh very very well drawn in my opinion yeah and that's it i like one of the things i really like about this and I, I had never really thought about it until i went through this i really like pirate stories i didn't know i liked pirate stories because they're usually side pieces like with the exception of you know the pirates of the caribbean movies and like one Assassin's Creed game or something like that. <laughs> Pirates are not a a portion they're, that we spend a ton of... They're not quite the cultural force that they were maybe a few generations ago. Yeah. When everybody was reading uh, Treasure Island and yeah, that sort of thing. I was going to say I love Treasure Island, so... Yeah, I, and the thing is, I, I cannot think of a, a pirate story that I didn't enjoy watching or, or, mm-hmm. or reading or anything like that. Um so I actually, you when, know, somebody's gonna get on Reddit now and be like, "What about this one?" And you'll be like, "Oh yeah, that sucked." Be like, I probably be like, I didn't see that. <laughs> um, but I was very appreciative of the the fact that there was time. I know the mon the mon the montage in air quotes took a long time, but it gave me enough of a, a vocabulary so that I didn't feel like the pirates were dumbing stuff down. As we spent time with them uh-huh. and seeing their adventure, what are the real threats to them? What are the things like? I I got involved in the pirate portion of this story quite a bit and loved it. Um, and I don't think fantasy literature gets enough pirates. <laughs> All right, All right. We get. I, uh, yeah, um, I'm recalling the the uh, the movie version. I can't remember how the book version of it went, but the movie version of Stardust, where. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Robert De Niro plays a gay pirate. It's fantastic. I absolutely love that. I've told you my pirate dating app idea, right? Um, I think you have. Yeah, hook up. <laughs> and the slogan is just going to be like, "You're here for the booty." <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> if that shows up in the app store, you'll know you shouldn't have said it here. I know. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh wow. Um, okay, so any other pirate stuff we want to talk about at the moment? I've got something else that I want to move on to. I have um, one quote from when they started out uh, taking over as captains yeah. that really uh, stood out to me. Um, basically, they've had they had to make their decisions, um, figure things out, and he says, "So this is what command is: staring consequences in the eye and pretending not to flinch." And we've had the same discussion before with other pieces about the requirements of leadership and doing things like how often it's just faking it, like right. or just realizing that you are going to answer for the consequences of what happens, but you're the one who has to make the choice. Um, just owning that. 
I'm reminded of, but uh, speaking of movies at sea or stories at sea, do you remember U571, Matthew mm-hmm. McConaughey uh-huh. and yeah. Harvey Keitel? Um, there's a, okay, I understand. You don't, don't at me, bro. I understand the movie does serious violence to the history of World War II and all that. Whatever. Still fun movie. And there's that great scene uh, in the latter half of the movie when Harvey Keitel has to pull aside Matthew McConaughey and berate him. Because somebody had asked him a question and he said, I don't know. Like, you know, what are we mm-hmm. going to do, Captain? I don't know. And he pulls him aside and he says, you you know. You always know. You know everything. You're now the captain. At no point can you ever let on that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, that's always kind of stuck with me. I love that scene. And, and it's kind of a similar thing, I think, to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Even if you Even if you don't understand everything, you have to portray... Uh, you know, a sense of, like you say, leadership. Yeah, and especially in moments of crisis, people are looking for a foundation somewhere that they can trust and the handful of people who can hold themselves together enough to think through and make a decision in those moments usually end up being the ones in charge. Right. Yeah, like Kyle. Huh? Yeah. Uh, You're the highest ranking corporate member here, by the way, because you have manager in your title. (laughs) I'm out of (laughs) here. You're too good for us. Uh, okay, well, before we move on to uh, weightier stuff, I want to bring up the swears. Hell yeah. <laughs> so this is something that everybody kind of you know got me all jazzed for, and we talked about it in the first one, and we brought up some of our favorite swears. Um, I think actually your favorite swear in the episode, in the book one episode, was from this one. Yep. Rope. <laughs> Rope, yeah, that's right. Um, so I'm just going to start hitting my edit markers now. Um so, uh, yeah, I marked a bunch. Do you guys have any? Or should I just start laying them out there? Just cuss like, cuss like the sailor. Okay. Uh, drawing cards. The two of chalices worth precisely one wet sh- from a sick dog in this situation. Uh, let's see. Uh, sh- Surely you boys can do simple sums, he said. One plus one equals don't f- with me. <laughs> uh, that's a great one. Uh, let's see. I know I've got more. I'm going to take his whole bloody palace and shove it so far up his ass. He'll have stone towers for tonsils. <laughs> okay. And where's my, oh, I've got some more. Oh, you know, most of these I'm like, oh, that's just colorful. And then there were a couple instances where I'm like, ooh, that's rough language there. Uh, here's one. How the screaming f***ing hell do you expect the two of us to raise a bloody pirate armada in a place we've never been and convince it to come merrily die at the hands of the Navy that bent it over the table and f***ed it in the last time? Wow. Like, holy jeez, dude. <laughs> That's some rough language. Yeah. Um, Which is, he uses that those moments when Locke gets irate. Right. Like, he cusses a lot, and most of the time it's colorful, but when he is actually irate and loses a little bit of control, that's when those gems of just pure coarse language just yep, hit yep, hard. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, I do have one. Okay, I have my favorite, but I want to hear yours first. Okay. This was uh, right before Jean comes and kind of comes to the rescue. Okay. And says, come then, face Ravel. The gods have sent your doom, mother <laughs> <laughs> And then John shows up and saves him. <laughs> uh, okay, my my. Uh, okay, I have two more. Jean uses the phrase "Oh, sweet jumping." F-. Uh, I think that's a great one. Um, and then also, 
Do that and we're all gonna die fast as a one copper fuck in a one whore cat house. I hope that's clear. <laughs> uh, nope. Anyway, uh, okay, so I've got a lot of editing ahead of me, uh, but it's worth it. I think I I found the swearing more enjoyable in this book than in the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if it's better or if I just found it more enjoyable, but I think Ryan just found his favorite. Not one of my fa- not a favorite, but it's a good one, and it's not even a curse. Uh, he says, Any man can fart in a closed room and say that he commands the wind. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. I like that. Um, okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, sorry, I need to speak into my microphone. Um, I wanted to bring up religion. Uh, <laughs> right after the cussing. Exactly. What, you think I wasn't timing this? It was beautiful. Thank you. Uh, okay, I want to talk about religion. Um, it's really, really interesting to me. I, I know I brought this up in our last episode, but it's just getting more so as we go through the story. Um, there is basically the reason that everybody mutinies on the ship, uh, after the storm is now we've got some dead sailors and Locke as the captain of the ship is expected to, uh, pray over the bodies of, uh, the, the dead in the name of, I can't remember what the sea, the sea gods, uh, what is the name of the sea god? It doesn't matter. Um, he won't do it at, because you know he's not a priest of that order mm-hmm. as a real ship captain would be and so what he does in front of uh, one or more members of the crew is he um prays over them in the name of the crooked warden or i guess not in the name of whatever doesn't name matter is 13th yeah uh yeah as a priest of the nameless 13th and everybody's like freaking out mm-hmm. right this is not kosher this is not okay um and i loved that scene and it's it's again getting back to how interesting i find it that Locke and jean and everybody else they are truly devoted to a god that we would consider problematic mm-hmm. probably but there is real devotion there's something to be admired there right um are you paying attention at all to this does is it is the religious aspect of this book firing anything in your brain and your imagination? Uh, is it kind of floating over you? I've I've been appreciative of the balance between religion and superstition in this book, um, because yes, that becomes a big element, and the fact that of all the moral lines, the moral compass points that Locke has, this is one of them when it comes to the worship of uh, and these these rites. Um, but it's funny because the other the other things that cause them to mutiny are the fact that the pirate superstitions are Oh, aren't yeah, being they met. Don't, don't have any cats. There's no woman on women. board. There's no cats on board um, on top of that. So you you start with that, and these men are already bloodthirsty. And then on top of that, you take away their rights of burial for this. And yeah, they're, they're going to mutiny. Um, but I think it's interesting that it's that it's not until they cross that religious line that they finally act on it. Yeah. Like you didn't bring cats. We should throw you overboard. We didn't this. We, we should do this. But the moment that it becomes, these souls are in peril. Every single one, all the pirates, you know, they, yeah, yeah. they take it seriously. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, 
Kyle, how do you feel about the nameless 13th and the fact that they are so devoted to him? It's <clears throat> from a from a Western mm-hmm. civilization, kind of Christian, uh, Judeo-Christian perspective. This nameless 13th sounds like Satan, basically, in yeah. a way. I mean, this is the person who stands for everything uh, that you're not supposed to stand for, right? Yeah. Uh, thieves and whores and, and whatnot. Um, uh, but I think, you know, because we're in a story where it's not, this is not a Western Christian story. You know, this is a polytheistic, uh, culture where, you know, I think we're safe from that, but how do you feel about it when they kind of whip out that devotion to the nameless 13th? Uh, curious. I want to know more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the religion factor in here in this in this book series so far feels very similar to the magic system where it's not as like it's actually a little bit more front and center than the magic i think but i want to know more about it um that's that's one reason i miss the flashback scenes so much Mm -hmm. right yeah because i think you get a little bit more of a peek into what the beliefs even are what's their core driving factor because like like you said uh jean and Locke. This is the one thing that drives their morality, whatever that is. Uh, This is it. And I want to know more about it. Um, I feel like I don't, I wouldn't necessarily equate it to like Satan, like you were saying. Yeah. uh, Because it is very different. It's very, uh, uh, I I don't know how to put my finger on it. I, I've, In comparison to what to our Judeo Christian culture right. is, these are more like the patron saints than they are. Mm-hmm. But in their situation, it's it's who's um, who's standing at the judgment bar basically and helping them out, right? Um, in their case, uh, so and I love I love the crooked warden the way they describe how he helps them because it's not. It's not, yes, he hides them with the darkness. He does those things. But for him, he puts his finger on the scale of justice at the end when they're being judged mm-hmm. and just tips the scale just a little bit. Right. Um, yeah, see, and I and I look at it more of like a Greek or Roman mythology type of situation where mm-hmm. there's these different deities and you can choose to offer up sacrifice to one or the other for their blessing or whatever. So right. like, that's kind of how I wrapped my mind around it a little bit it makes sense um but yeah i think my main my main reaction to it is just curiosity like i'd love to know more about it i'd love to see flashbacks of Locke going through the the priesthood of whatever this is you know Mm -hmm. and becoming a full-fledged priest of the third nameless 13th like be kind of cool well, maybe we'll get some more of that in book three, I, I guess. I'm also interested in how this uh, religious idea fits in with the actual magic system. Uh, what do you mean? So like, and maybe I'm just forgetting or, or missed it, but like you have your bonds, magi, and the whole idea of like true names and things like that. And does that fall under a certain uh, deity or is it separate from it? And how does it interact with that? Right. I don't know. Right. Do how does it plug in? I think this is kind of interesting. The equivalent patron saint 
sort of, and I I know I can't. Uh, we have at least one fathered uh, clergy. listener, clergy listenership, <laughs> who's going to come back on me hard for this. But yeah, we, let's let's say our our cath our catechism is weak. Yes, sorry. Um, but the closest thing we have to the nameless thirteenth would be Santa Claus. Really, Saint Nicholas was the patron saint of repentant sinners and pawnbrokers, and these people here. Oh. So a you got to repent first. He got a whole, but like, apparently he's got a ton of things. Sailors, merchants, archers, repentant thieves. Archers? Yeah. Archers. Archers. <laughs> Santa's rocking a bow. Holy crap. Was I born in the wrong century? Uh, yeah. Repentant thieves, children, uh, brewers, pawnbrokers, okay. and students. Like I said, like I said, my catechism, not strong. Uh, but what I'm wondering is, is he still the patron saint of all these things? Like, can I, can I still... It's used in the present tense. Saint, saint Nicholas is the patron saint of sailors, oh, merchants, archers. Sweet Moses. This is amazing. Uh, all right. I'll be right back. I'm converting to Catholicism. <laughs> this is awesome. So, you, so that you can shoot a bow and arrow and worship Santa Claus? Yes. Well, they don't. I don't <laughs> think they right. worship the... Pray yeah. to Santa Claus? Yeah. Anyway, this is amazing. Uh, I am in. This is awesome. Uh, where were we, Kyle? You were saying something less interesting. <laughs> Very much less interesting. All I said was, I just want to see how the religious factor and the magic system. Oh yeah, intertwine. how they interplay. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Um, like I said, maybe we'll get some more of that in book three. Uh, I I have started book three, but I have not finished it. So I guess I've got a lot ahead of me to see what goes on in that one. And I guess that's what we'll look forward to because I think we're pretty much out of time. Do you guys have any final thoughts you want to give on this one? Final impressions on book two? Are you satisfied? Does it leave you wanting more? Or do you, or would you quit if we weren't reading it for the podcast? Ryan, I actually know you've finished book three. Mm-hmm. Um, you finished these a while ago, and I have to assume that it must have been interesting if you were, if it had you continuing at that pace. Yes, actually, and I have progressively enjoyed each book more and more as I've gone along. Um, and I blame. So you liked book two more than book one. And I will tell you, yes, but because of an accident, um, I was reading through some things and I saw a bunch of reviews that people were complaining about how it was for book three. They were saying, oh, we're finally getting back to what, what we want from Locke and John and you know, we're getting back to this or so much better than book two. And everything. So I went into book two going, okay, this is going to be a sophomore slump. This yeah. is going to be whatever. And I really enjoyed the book. I came out of it going, wow, because I had... Read yeah, all these. You, yeah, your expectations had been lowered mm-hmm. too far. So I think it's a false sense of equivalency between the first and second book. Sure, uh, but I I really enjoyed it. I I enjoyed it a lot, and I jumped right into book three. So okay, Kyle, what about you? Um, I didn't enjoy it as much as book one, but I that's not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Um, like I think we covered kind of my my criticisms uh-huh. criticisms of it already, which were just it felt a little disjointed. Sure. Um, but it was super enjoyable. And so I feel like I'm excited to jump into book three, namely because of the cliffhanger of like, Oh, Locke doesn't have an antidote. So what's going to happen? <laughs> right. It feels very, uh, John snow, uh, oh. lying on a table, like <laughs> cut scene. Now I got to wait a year for the next season to come right, out. Right, right. That's what it felt like. And, and it's, I mean, it's working to get me to want to read the next one. Sure. Uh, okay. I'm curious if it hadn't ended that way, though, if they had both taken the antidote, 
if I would feel the same way, I don't know that I would. So like, if that doesn't leave me with the cliffhanger, let's say they both get the antidote and it's like, okay, they're fine. And they're sailing off to next adventure. Right. You, you might not join I them might, on that adventure. Yeah. I, well, I probably would want to finish it cause I like to, you know, finish, to see it through, see it through, but I wouldn't be chomping at the bit. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I think I'm probably in between the two of you. I might be leaning more towards Kyle's, um, but Ryan, you said something to me. I can't remember if it was on the air or off after the first book when you said something about, uh, oh, well, you know, if you like political intrigue, just wait until book three. Mm-hmm. It's going to be right up your alley. And that's great. Um, and it does make me look forward to book three. But I will say that uh, with the whole kind of what I've been talking about at the early part of this episode where the first book abandons a storyline really abruptly. Um, and I mean, you like you mentioned, it gets brought back in the end to kind of help wrap up the B storyline. But at the same mm-hmm. time, you know, it does feel abandoned in the middle of it. And I felt like book two did that a few times for me. Um, it kind of makes me worry. It's like, okay, well, book three might have some cool political stuff, but ultimately, is it going to matter? Am I just going to invest myself in something that I have to say goodbye to halfway through the book and then mm-hmm. never think about it again? So I, I like that. It's not... I, I will not call it a weakness of the book. I'll call it um, a style that I have kind of struggled with a little bit. Mm-hmm. Makes me a little nervous for how much I will care about book three as I read through it. But that's my that's my only concern. Ultimately, like we've been saying and like a lot of people have said online, these stories are about Jean and Locke and their adventures and their friendship. It's very much Sherlock and Watson from the new BBC version. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's about that friendship. Um, and so, yeah, I, it's almost like, yeah, I don't really care what your next adventure is. As long as you two go on it and mm-hmm. have some quippy banter, throw in some F words. I'm in, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that that's, that's about where I feel. What do you hope to get out of book three? Um, I want to, I want to see Other Sabatha. Than banter. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I want to see Sabatha. Um, I, I want some resolution to the bonds mage, I think, uh, that's, that's about it. Uh, but that's, I don't want, I don't want the bonds mage to show up again. That's not what I'm looking for. I am looking for resolution. Uh, like all these teases for those two, uh, elements. I'm getting a little tired of them. I want more and I, and I want resolution. So what so. do you think when you know that the series is supposed to be seven books? Yeah, that's uh, I I I kind of just feel like a like I was just saying about Sherlock and Watson. Mm-hmm. Like that's about all you can do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can't there there isn't anywhere except for the maybe the Bonds Mage. There's that's, nowhere to go for like thought. the big grand overarching. Yeah, good versus evil, David versus Goliath, whatever that that storyline. That was my thought because you just said Bonds Magi and you want a resolution and I'm thinking eh, <laughs> you got four more books and they're the luck. strongest villain character villain yeah. in quotes right 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 um, anyway alright we better cut and run though um, thanks you guys and thank you everybody for listening uh, head up hit up patreon.com slash legendarium go to the legendarium.reddit.com and let us know what you think of our inane thoughts on book two of the gentleman bastard series um i look forward to the did you even read it 
Uh, also, I forgot to mention up top, go to YouTube, subscribe to the Legendarium podcast on YouTube, and uh, we'll see you all next time. I think the next episode is going to be um, Blue Team doing, what are they doing? I don't uh, know. <laughs> whatever. They're doing whatever they do. Go look at the, it's on Reddit. The schedule's up there. Just go look. Who cares? Who cares what they're doing? It's Blue Team. <laughs> All right. Civil War. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.